Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. We have to start with Donald Trump. Yes, we do. I mean, I said last week, this guy will come back stronger. He will turn it into a victory for him. He'll say, I beat Corona, which is more or less exactly what he said. But I'll tell you what, I was transfixed last night watching the helicopter, Marine One, flying across, you know, the the very low across the skyline of Washington, D.C., landing on the South Lawn. He gets out, walks up the stairs. I mean, you might as well have been playing Wagner, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so he rips off the mask. Surprised they didn't. (laughs) I know, rips off the mask. I mean, just absolutely brilliant television. Let's let's the the man shine through. If that was the start of The Apprentice, you wouldn't have been surprised, would you? Absolutely. Uh, People like to say that uh, Donald Trump is thick uh, and he's got his limitations in lots of areas but boy oh boy does that guy know about news management yeah. it's just like the campaign against Hillary Clinton yeah. every time he appeared he climbed off a big jet yeah. to a, a throng thousands of yeah. waiting people flying. He, he news managed every frame yeah. of the television and that's exactly what he's done with this coronavirus his brush with COVID, yeah. COVID his COVID moment uh, I didn't think that it would damage him too much. I thought it would damage him, but I was wrong. He's turned it into mm. a positive. Oh, he totally the, has. The, the, the swing in mood in America is astonishing. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, of course, now the bedwetting sort of Democrats are going, oh, well, the thing is that, you know, he's now being sort of um, really, really has no, he has no compassion. He has no empathy. Yeah, we know that. He's now been saying, saying that for years. Yeah, but now he's saying that, you know, well, he's, he's managed to get through it. But what about all the thousands of people that died? Well, they can't vote, can they? Yeah, well, look, how many people in this country, like me, almost shed a tear when he said, uh, when Donald addressed the nation and said, don't let this coronavirus thing dominate your lives. Yeah. And it made me almost cry because I thought, and we've got Boris telling us, do let the coronavirus well, thing dominate for when, your lives. Except for when he suddenly and inexplicably popped up yesterday afternoon and told everyone to go to the cinema after they've all been shut oh, down. for fuck's sake. Why does he want us to go to the cinema? Fucking Boris. There's nothing just... to watch apart from anything else. They're all shut. Yeah. Well, we could, well, yeah, Boris, we could go and see the new Bond movie. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, well, come you know, on. Um, a we'll go down mine, the local cinema. Oh, wait. A friend of mine took his kid to the movies a few weeks ago, right? And he said um, the boy, his son had to wear a mask. But because he bought some popcorn, he didn't have to wear a mask. 
Well, it's, it's all how cobblers. How the fuck does that work? It's all cobblers, and we'll get back to Boris in a minute. Yeah. But don't tell us, uh, make a speech about how great Britain is. Brit yeah, Britain was great, potentially the greatest country on the face of uh, the earth until you got hold of it, yeah. Boris, and fucked it. Yes. You fucked it. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he's not allowed to do that to anybody else now, so he's just doing it to the country, I suppose. Yeah. But I'm going to defend him a bit this week. could result in another love child. Let's go back to, um, to Donald Trump, because... Yes, um, uh, yes, please. You, it's hard to imagine. I mean, for all the people that have completely misunderstood American culture, the American police force, the way that uh, inner city America operates, the way that America operates, you can't really understand how important and how big a presidential campaign is yes. until you've been on one. Yeah, yeah, and you and I have both covered yeah. them. You, we, we've got some right to sort of claim superiority over a lot of British observers. Yeah. You go, I know all about America. I've been to New York and yeah. Los Angeles on exactly. holiday. Yes, and I have very good friends yeah. who live in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Yeah. Trust and you me, go, well, you, that's not America, mate. You, you don't know about America until you've been to Grand Rapids yes. or Butte, Montana. Or Sioux City. Or Phoenix, Arizona. And then you start to learn about America. Bumfuck Iowa, as we used Pete, to call it. Your buttfuck <laughs> Uh, yes. I mean, I once went to Des Moines, right, on a story. Yeah, oh, yeah, Des Moines, Iowa. You pig capital of the Jesus world. Jesus Christ almighty. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a whiter place in the world, yeah. apart from the else. Yeah. no black people there at all. Yeah. It may be different now. But, you know, it was really square in every yeah. way. Yeah. The streets were all in a grid. It's the hog capital yeah. of the world. Everyone's square. Where they square. breed loads and loads of pigs. Yeah. And they proudly call themselves hog capital of the world. And it's completely flat. There's yeah. literally, it's the breadbasket yeah. of the world as well. Yeah. I went there with Boris Yeltsin, funnily enough, because yeah. he wanted to go and see um, a wheat farm in yeah. America, because he thought There's that he... There's a few of them around, Boris. Do you know the guy didn't stop drinking Jack Daniels? Literally, morning, noon and night, he was literally on the piss. A very funny guy. But anyway, aside from all that, you're absolutely right. Until you've gone out there and met the ordinary people of America, mm. the ordinary people who love Donald Trump, who voted for Donald Trump, who will vote for him again, and who don't actually care about the Democrats yeah. and who don't like Joe Biden because yeah. he represents yeah. everything that they don't. They don't mind looking up to Trump because he's a millionaire. They don't like, as, uh, as Donald says about people like Biden, how does this guy who makes $170,000 a year become a millionaire? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a good reason for that. Yeah, well, uh, I've been in more than 40 states uh, and the first thing you learn as you begin to travel around America, as you have to, Mike, uh, is that New York, Los Angeles, Dallas, uh, Miami, Chicago. Seattle and Chicago are different places yeah. to the rest of the United States. Donald Trump understands mm. that. His people do not live in New York and Los Angeles. They live in Buttfuck, right. Iowa. Well, if you look at the map and you look at the blue states, and of course anyone who knows American politics knows that blue stands for the Democrats over there, not the Conservatives, right? Yeah. And red stands for the Republican mm. Party. Mm. It's all blue on the coast. Yeah, yeah. And the rest of the country in the middle... Is all uh, is all red? Is, is all red? Absolutely. You know, and and it's impossible to overestimate the dramatic effect that Donald's COVID moment has had. I'm shocked by it. I I thought he might be able to turn it around to a vague positive. Yeah. You know what he's like, but. There's something above what he's been doing, his stage managing. There's something that has happened to the mood of the American yeah. people. They've swung behind him. Uh, it well, they, has like worked, a, they like a good news story. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're not like the Brits who actually prefer 
bad news. Yeah. People in this country actually would rather see you yeah. uh, in a bad way if they don't like you. In America, if they don't like you very much, mm -hmm. if you have some um, adversity and you overcome yeah. it, yeah. they like you again. Yeah, yeah. See, he controls uh, every moment of the news mm. agenda when he wants to. Uh, now, the point is about his COVID moment. Look, think about it. Throughout these uh, dramatic four or five days, whatever it is, um, by the way, how quickly he got over I it. I know. And well, there's plenty of people out there saying, well, he never had it, did he? But, but throughout, well, that's bollocks. Throughout these uh, three, four days, uh, he has been number one on the news schedule. Remember that guy, Joe Biden? Oh, Not yeah. even no. getting a look in. No. And he's just going, oh, wait a minute, we're going to worry about COVID. Joe Biden has been obliterated mm. in the past few days. Uh, all of a sudden, Joe is looking even shakier than he Well, it he might did. even be uh, the greatest piece of news management ever. So the best thing that happened to the, the new European mm. was when it finally became clear we were going to Brexit come yeah. what may, right. uh, you know, after Boris won the election. So you'd think, well, that's the end of the new Europeans because it's failed. Right. It's failed to persuade the nation that we mustn't leave Europe. But not at all. It's actually the best thing that ever happened to it. And the reason is, is that these Remainers, they just want to gather around in their own echo chamber yeah. and call us all stupid right. because we want to... Which is still going on. You, you, you're thick because you want to leave Europe. You're thick because you go to the pub. You're thick because you go because you go to a restaurant. Yeah. You know, you're thick because you go to Bournemouth Beach. You don't you're, care about right, anything. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Why are you not worried? It's yeah. like, why do they want to be so worried about it? Well, everything? they're the thickos. Right. They're the thickos cowering behind their front doors. Yeah. Going, oh, if I step outside, I'll die. Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep saying this. Last Monday, ele uh, 11 people died mm. from coronavirus or COVID-19 right. in this country. 67 million people here. And for that, they want the entire nation lockdown. Right. Don't be ridiculous. So what you're saying is 66 million um, 999,989 people didn't die. Didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> and on the basis of that, we put the country into economic I mean, paralysis. Why is the government helping in this ludicrous process? Well, what I don't get, right, is, is, is how they've said on the one hand, it was only, what, two weeks ago, Boris was going, right, let's all get back to work. We're going to have a big push on Monday. Trains will return to 75% of their normal service yeah. as opposed to 5%, which is what they've been yeah. running at. Um, you know, we want everyone back to work. Uh, let's go. And then nobody went. And then suddenly they went, ah. And they <laughs> seem to be, whenever something happens that they don't expect, they immediately seem to change tack. Instead of going... Look, we told you to fucking get back to work. Do you mind? Would you please get back to work? Yeah. And, uh, of course, this is a, what we're talking about. We're talking about a frightened nation mm. and a terrified government. Yeah. This government is well aware that it's entirely possible the lockdown didn't have any effect. I'm not saying that it didn't. Yeah. It might have had an effect, but we don't know yet. In Norway, mm. they investigated the data, went back to the people. And by the way, they had a much stricter lo lockdown than we did. Mm. They went back to the people and said, sorry, it didn't actually have any effect. Right. So this government is terrified that everything it continues to do with its latest mm. face mask diktat, uh, you know, lockdown, don't go out, stay alert, don't leave your home. They're terrified they might have been been wrong yeah and that's why i think we're being told to wear face masks because it reminds us that we're still in a mm. crisis I'm i mean do you sure. think that they're worried that if they admitted that they made a mistake that there might be some financial penury that would come their way that some company might say well hang on a minute you've ruined my business i'm now going to sue the government 
I think there's that, but I think on the wider scale, uh, if if the nation comes to learn that we spent three weeks, three months, uh, uh, sort of basically under house arrest, uh, or lo- or loads of us lost our jobs, uh, lost our forms of income, lost our money, uh, and the go- and they realised that that was all a waste of time. The government is finished. The mm. Tories are finished. They, mm. That's what they're terrified of. You know, I want to stress. I'm not saying that this is a fact. It's just possible. Mm. And what I think is strange, that is the way that the Remainer hordes, if you like, because I think it does break down that way, are shouting, no, 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 the lockdown was, uh, was perfect. It was the thing to do. It was absolutely right. Well, you know, they may be right, but no one knows if no. they're right. No one knows if they're wrong. So that's where we're at. at but I mean, see- my, my, what I always say about it is that at the time when they had to make that decision, I think it was the right decision to make because I don't think they could have not made that decision. I agree with you. I totally because agree. everybody else was doing it. Had to be seen were, to do yeah. something. Yeah. Well, also, not just that, but we were looking on TV and I remember seeing... Like, so it was like scenes from Invasion of the Body Snatchers from Italy. With these lorries, you know, one after another, driving through the night yeah. past these hospitals, stopping, picking up all these body bags, chucking yeah. them in the back. Literally hundreds yeah, of them. Yeah. And, and I think they feared that kind of scenario because if they had allowed that to happen, people wouldn't have forgiven them either. Absolutely. And what we're seeing now is those kind of images. The most recent were those mass graves mm. in haunting images of those mass graves in Brazil. Yeah. They're being beamed at the British right. nation to say, this is why you've got to be yeah. terrified. There are people dying in South America. Well, that's all very sad, yeah. but they're not really dying well, same with here. India. I mean, you wouldn't be that surprised that in India, where people live literally on top of one yeah. another, that it's actually yeah. quite bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really? Yeah. And Boris Johnson said uh, at the point when he was trying to get Britain back in business, back to uh, business as usual, he said, I've learned that it's very easy to uh, shut people down, shut people Mm. up, but to try and get them back up and running again is very, very difficult. That's what the government's panicking about now. It can't seem to get this country back to work. It can't seem to get... Well, this is is what I suppose the second part of the argument is that I'm surprised at how many people have taken to this kind of lifestyle where basically they don't want to go back to work because they're quite happy working from home. Now, it's a very specific class of people, this. It's very middle class. It's people who can work on a laptop. It's not your bus drivers Mm. or your builders or your plumbers or people who work with their hands. It's the kind of middle class civil servant types you know, bankers. People like us, to be honest. People like you. us, yeah. <laughs> you know, people who work in advertising, people who work in the media, yeah. people who work in sort of, you know, tech 10%, companies. By the way, it's 10% of the workforce can uh, realistically yeah. work at home. So this idea, it's the big sea change, no one will ever go to work again. Yeah. All, it's rubbish anyway. 90% of workers have to go to work. They're furlough, furloughed at the moment. Yeah. And let's face it, they're getting 80% of their salary. They're not having to pay their commuting costs. Right. Uh, and they're enjoying getting 80% of yeah. their money watching Netflix. Well, we all know people like that. I mean, I, a friend of mine's uh, girlfriend works in a hotel in central London. She's more than happy to sit at home making dresses while she's getting 80% of her money. Yeah, yeah. She's not having to deal with a lot of tossers who uh, go to yeah. hotels, and expensive hotels yeah. in particular, and demand the world, you know. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't have to commute. You don't have to do that. I had a guy on the phone today, you probably heard him saying, you know, I used to drive an hour and a half into London, an hour and a half out. 
Um, you said, I'm not doing it anymore. I don't ever want to do it again. And you can understand that. Yeah, because it's uh, it's a nicer way of life, but it's uh, a destructive way of life. Uh, will be to I this. I mean, there are those of us, of course, who would like to get away from the missus. So one of the reasons that you go to work is to get out of the house. Yeah, which... You don't want to sit there with her all bloody day, do you? Well, there's a, all, we've, uh, all we've heard recently is the great advantages, you know, to the environment, uh, to mental health of working right. at home. What about the great advantages of working at the office? Yeah. You know, it's not just socialization. get away from the missus or the, or the husband. Yeah. It's meet your friends, social, have a beer after work, yeah. the, uh, go for lunch. The whole social thing. Yeah. I've always enjoyed working in offices. Yeah. I'm the best life of my life. But that's why the city at the moment is, is not coming back to life because none of that's happening. Listen, I think we, uh, we're probably going to make some reference to uh, the woke crisis. Uh, yes. Do you uh, know what I, I found out the other day, um, which has really amused me, that the, you know this bloke at the British Museum yeah, who yeah, wants to do away yeah. with the bloke who, uh, who, who started the British Museum, yeah, get yeah. rid of his statue. It doesn't have Britain's interest right. at heart, right? This guy's from Dresden. Yeah. Dresden in yeah. Germany. Yeah, they're pulling down a statue. How did of he bloke... get put in charge What's of the British on? Museum? They're pulling down a statue of a bloke called Hans. Right. He's from Dresden. Right. This I mean, bloke's called something like Gerhardt or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how did, how did this all happen? It's madness, right? isn't it? But I, the, the big woke issue is obviously around Royal Britannia yeah. and uh, Land of Hope and Glory. And the BBC, they think they're right. They're not. They're wrong. Uh, and they think, as they always do when they get themselves in the shit, because it's themselves who did yeah. this, uh, they think the storm will blow over and they'll be all right. I don't think no. it will. I think this is a very significant moment in the decline of the yeah. BBC. Well, I think the problem for them now is that because everybody's looking at them and everybody's already talking about defunding them, suddenly this happens and you go, how many more idiotic examples of your wokeness do you want to show us before we just completely pull the rug? Yeah, yeah. You know? There's a, there's a bloke called, uh, what's his name, Wenger. He's the head, oh, of, yes. head of drama. Yeah. At, uh, the is BBC. he Arsene Wenger's little known brother? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, I didn't uh, see it. It's Ar- I Arsene didn't Wenger's see it. less intelligent brother. <laughs> I didn't see uh, it. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't see that, Phil. Uh, no, he, he uh, as, he's up at the Edinburgh TV Festival making speeches about... Why are they still having rape. that, by the way? Oh, God knows. Uh, is he Lord Hall of Birkenhead, who's the outgoing BBC Director General, has actually said up there that they need more money, not less money? Yeah, well... Piss off. Yeah, really? Uh, yeah, this guy's uh, Wenger. He says that the real crisis in British television is racism. No, it's not. <laughs> it's that people like you yeah. uh, don't think it's your job to think about putting on entertaining drama. You think it's your job to tackle racism and uh, homophobia mm. and things like that. That's not your fucking job. Your job no. is to entertain us. Right. Make some dramas we want to watch. And don't say, oh, how many black people are in it? Right. You know, this is And let's movie. raise some really serious issues. It's these soap operas. I mean, when you were a TV critic, right, the number of soap operas that would have these kind of storylines inserted. Yeah. Oh, look, there's a trans person in Coronation yeah, yeah, Street. Yeah. Why? Yeah. You know, yeah. oh, look, there's a, a, a lesbian person in, what was it, yeah. Emmerdale. Yeah. You well, know. And by the way, talking about that, uh, uh, Channel 4 is going to have Black Day. So they're going to have Black, big, uh, they're going to bring back the big breakfast. Oh, yeah. Totally Starfire Black. Okay. But everybody what are they on, do with John everybody Snow? on screen. For what are they the do with John Snow? Well, he won't be on it. Everybody on screen will be black. <laughs> so they've they got Countdown with Richard Blackley instead of Richard Whiteley. Uh, you know, seriously. Jesus Christ. Seriously. Now, I'll tell you what that is. Racist. That's racist. That's racist. It totally is. It's ridiculous, isn't yeah. it? And also, I don't know any sensible people of colour, as they like to call uh, some of them, um, who actually endorse any of this rubbish. I because know. Because nobody wants to be given a job just because of the colour of their skin. 
No. I mean, nobody does. But this guy Wenger said that the crisis in television is racism, and unless they sort it out, and they've got to sort it out urgently, that will be the death of television. No, Wenger, it'll be no. people like you and your wrong obsessions with wokeism and racism. This is why nobody's You're going to be the death of television. That's why nobody's watching it. I know. Because, I mean, let's face it, the problem with the BBC is that, one, it's too big of an organisation. Two, nobody seems to be in, in actual charge of anything. You know, they just pretty much do what they want. Yep. Individual shows seem to do what they want. I mean, individual presenters seem to say what they want. There doesn't seem to be any editing going on. There doesn't seem to be any kind of quality control. Well, I, do, I just think they've just literally uh, self-destructed. Self they have self-destructed. And I think now they're even less sure about yeah. what they're doing yeah. uh, than they ever were. 2027, their charter's up for renewal. If they think they're going to get a penny of the licence fee, then I, don't I think, think they're, I think they're in for a nasty shock. And I think the more people that uh, actually defund them by not having a licence is growing yeah, massively. Yeah, man. It's growing massively. So many people are just not paying for it now. Kids don't even understand it. No. As they, if, if you put kids... My kids don't watch any TV. If you put kids in front of the TV, uh, front of BBC, they go, what's this shit right. with one show, right. country file? Also, why do I have to watch it when they want me to watch scheduled it? Scheduled television, terrestrial television is dying. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Anyway, yeah. let's talk about football because it's great to see the football season back in play. Premier League starts this weekend, right? Yes. Um, however, we've had a nice little international break, which mm. has done two things. It's allowed us to laugh at uh, the people that organised Soccer Aid or whatever it's called uh -huh. right? because they didn't think that if they asked Yaya Toure to take part that he would put out some kind of message on WhatsApp in which mm. he would boast about how he could get 19 hookers into his hotel yeah. for anyone that wanted to help him out. Um yeah, he didn't quite get the menu about the, the memo about the spirit no, of soccer aid. No, and, and also then put out a <laughs> pornographic picture of a woman in a bath, despite the fact, um, apparently, that there were quite a lot of women on the WhatsApp group that he was sending it to. Um, and he was immediately dropped by soccer aid. I mean, I do wonder sometimes when you get these organisations that deal with people like footballers. I mean, what do they expect footballers to be like? Do they expect them to be like choir boys? Uh, well, if they do, uh, they've got uh, another thing coming. And then, of course, we have our two young England heroes yes. distinguishing themselves <laughs> in Iceland with more soccer fun, Foden and Yeah, these are Greenwood, the guys yeah. who were found having smuggled in two girls, I think, into their hotel in rooms. Icelandic. Uh, two Icelandic girls. Mason Greenwood, 18. Phil Foden, 20. Um, again... That's what footballers do, isn't it? But they, apparently they broke the local COVID restrictions yeah. and got fined by the Icelandic police. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, the manager once again had to swing the axe and act all tough. Right. Uh, but it's about time uh, he acted a bit tougher because it's getting to be a, like an almost weekly embarrassment. You've well, got... so there's Harry Maguire, which yeah. we talked about the yeah. other week, right? So now there's these two young guys who were called up, I think, for the first time to the senior squad. One of them plays for Manchester United, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, what, what were the, what, Man United, Man City, so they're the pride no, of Manchester. the pride of Manchester, great stuff. 
And then Yaya Toure, who I think is probably now too old to play for Manchester City, but is still yeah, used to, is pretty he still much, on their books? He might be, I don't know. He probably is for about 300 grand a year. Or probably, something. but this is the thing. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day about this, that, you know, here's a guy who makes so much money. I mean, he was on something like 400,000 a week. Yeah, he's one of the highest paid footballers in the world. One of the highest paid footballers in the world, you know. So for him to organise a sort of 20 hookers to come over for whatever it is that they, they cost. Say they cost, I don't know, two grand each or something. It's only 40,000 quid. It's not even like two... It's not even a full, full day's pay, is it? But don't these people have any kind of moral compass no. at all? I mean, even the two young guys in Iceland, OK, one's 18, one's 20. They've got a lot to learn in life. But you think they might have worked out that's not the way to behave when you're representing your country. And when you're also under quite a bit of a media gaze, I would imagine. Because England, I mean, what we forget, right, because we're from here, if you go, if England goes to Iceland, that's quite a big deal for Iceland. Yeah, yeah. You know, they make it, they make out that they want to win the game. There's sort of round-the-clock media coverage. You know, people are quite excited because mm -hmm. these are people they watch from the Premier League every week. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a big deal. And well, one of them, by the way, the 20-year-old, I think, has already got a long-term girlfriend and a, and, a, mm -hmm. and a son, yeah, age yeah, one. Yeah, Phil, Phil Foden. Uh, and uh, Southgate has obviously swung the axe, uh, dropped them from the squad. Both of their clubs, to their credit, have denounced their behaviour. Right. So they're properly in the doghouse. But it does make you wonder why uh, people like Gareth Southgate and indeed Manchester United and Man City cannot get the message through to these younger players. Come on, behave yourself. Mm. Don't be so pathetic. But of course, they're part of a culture. Uh, whereby they just think they rule the world. Mm. They get so, they've got so much money, more money than sense. Uh, anytime they're in any trouble, their clubs bring in the top lawyers. Uh, they they, they uh, buy proceed their way out with impunity. Don't they? Don't they basically they? buy their way out. Yeah, of they everything. proceed through life often chaotically, but with impunity. Yeah. Well, I mean, I used to know when I was um, when I was a bit, when my kids were a bit younger. Um, one of them was quite interested in playing a bit of football. But it very quickly became clear that it was a very poisonous place to spend time because there's a lot of very pushy parents who now see their kid playing in the Premier League as a kind of way out of all sorts of um, working situations, a way for your kid to make so much money that you never have to worry about money ever again. And the amount of pushing and kind of cajoling that goes on to get young kids from the age of about seven or eight, basically, and sometimes younger... Mm into clubs. I mean, because you can, you can go and be signed up by Chelsea or Man United yeah. at the age of seven. Yeah, yeah. So it's the new stage school. Yeah. In the old days, people, yeah. mums, pushy parents used to try and get their kids into show business right. so they became rich stars. Right. The new showbiz, if you like, is football. Get yeah. your kid into Man City or Man United and who knows, fairly soon they might be on 300 grand a mm. week. Uh, happy days for the family. Yeah. It's, it's a pernicious the, culture. Big house in the Caribbean. Bob's your uncle. But unfortunately, the people that they have to kind of mix with, and I'm, I've always been slightly um, un, uneasy, really, about forcing kids to do anything, you know. Oh, absolutely. And you know, luckily, my young, my, my one of my youngest actually kind of just lost interest in it after a while. But I remember taking him to this terrible kind of, you know, recreation ground, in the middle of winter. You know, it was snowing, it was you know freezing cold. He had his football boots on. Um, and, you know, the guy was this rather gruff mm -hmm. sort of... Um, is it like know. trials for... Yeah, it was tr well, it was just... It was a local football sort of club for oh, okay. boys, okay, you know. Okay, okay. And he was going along to see if they wanted him to be a part of it. Mm. I went to pick him up in the afternoon and he had a... He had a little um, trophy that they'd given him. But he was freezing. And he was, <laughs> I mean, his feet were covered in mud. Because, you know, being Britain, it's not like um, you've got any kind of facilities at all to speak of. You've got a muddy field... 
He was covered in mud. You know, you can imagine the, the, the sort of the shouting and the barking that was being done. And people used to, I mean, when, when my older kids used to do a little bit of it, people would get, parents would get into fights on the touchline. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that I mean, uh, little league, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Little league punch-ups. Just of, unbelievable. Of the and they take it so seriously, I know, I know. you know? The, thing, the trouble with all this is, uh, you know, if you've got a brilliant kid uh, who's amazing at football, then good luck to him uh, or her. I hope they make it in the game. Yeah. But... Pushing your kid to become the next big Man United, Man City, England star on 300 grand a week uh, means you are pushing your kid towards almost certain crashing dis disappointment. Yeah. You know, a yeah. vanishingly small... Because by small, far and away, the, most the, of them, the largest yeah. number of them don't make it. Yeah, 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 yeah no, exactly. And they, they, they still could play professional football, mm. but for a much lower amount of money mm. in a much lower league. If we must discuss this exam results system... I hate it. I hate it. I've been well, avoiding it all week. Let's just... I want to get in my two penneth on this. Uh, of course, the algorithm was a useless solution. Idiotic idea. Problem, by, by Is that Williams. Neil Ferguson's idea? Yeah, yeah no you know, doubt. I've got another model over here. Old Frank Spencer <laughs> Williamson, the worst minister in yeah. the history of ministers, Aye. and that's saying something. And then, th then he abandons it. He does a sort of pathetic, weak U-turn. Mm. Oh, wait a minute. People don't like this. Oh, sorry. Uh, this morning, I'm incredibly sorry. Incredibly I'm sorry. Incredibly sorry yeah. about the exam. Not as sorry as we are. Uh, so then they replace it by the teachers can decide. Right. So the teachers are going to mark up all their own kids. They're not going to mark them down because it makes them look yeah. bad. But this is the thing. I was talking to Matthew Side this week about this because he's got a great book coming out which is kind of meant to be a bit empowering for kids yep. but he basically made the point that you know if you don't fail at anything which our kids nowadays don't do mm -hmm. you're never going to be prepared yeah. for life because yeah. they sail through because the school wants to have a good yeah. Ofsted number so they want their numbers up so they're going to give of course yeah. they're going to give you know higher marks to their kids you know the school the, 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 the universities are handing out now more yeah. firsts and, and, sec and two ones than they've ever done I before know. and it just devalues it all I know well, great inflation and it even yeah. with this new system, and there's been a concerted effort over the past decade to get rid of, to eradicate the ludicrous system where half of the kids get A's, mm. but they've still only got it down to a third. A third of all results mm. are A's. Yeah. When I, again, to, in my day, no, when I was a kid, if anyone got an A, it was like, get the bunting out. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Uh, I, don't, I, I think I got one, uh, I don't, but that I, was I, it. I don't but think it I ever was got like, you know, really rare. Now it's really rare not to get one. Right. That is ridiculous. And they're all outside demonstrating, going, fuck the algorithm. Yeah, I've got a, a better move. idea, you lot. Fuck you. Yeah, exactly. Get lost. And also, daddy's going to pay for three more years. And by the time yeah. you come out of university yeah. with your useless, shitty degree, there won't be any jobs anyway. <laughs> yeah. You know? You're not going to get a job with your <laughs> Do you media know? studies film Do you production know The other thing, degree? right, is that they don't seem to enjoy themselves at university anymore. They're so kind of uptight, these, these kids, right? They're not getting stoned. They're not getting laid. I mean, I saw you did a thing the other week about the asexual yeah, uh, generation, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, generation not interested asexual. in sex. I kept waiting for you to ask her if she was interested in sex with anyone, including herself. I mean, does that mean they don't have sex at all? Well, uh, um, I suppose you can't ask that on a daytime yeah, you show. You couldn't can you? really, because I knew where it would go. I was trying to uh, think of a way of asking well, that question. If you're talking about masturbation, yes. some of them do do that. Yeah. Right. So they're not actually asexual then. Well. They just I, don't want to have it with anybody else. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, some of them say they've got no mm. desire at all, but it but it is typical of young people now. They don't smoke. What was the words of that Adam Ant yeah. song? You don't smoke. You don't drink. Yeah. What do you do? Right. You know they're don't boring. Have sex, don't boring. do drugs. Anyway, so the good thing is they're all going to be able to get into university now, uh, and they won't be able to go to university because they're all fucking closed. <laughs> <laughs> Barnier's uh, 
stance is intransigent on the fishing debate, yes. the new cod war, even though there are no cod left. Uh, in no, they've had them all out. The they've Spanish, they've Spanish it off, yeah. They, they've gone on holiday <laughs> to Greece. They can't get back. They've been quarantined. Yeah. Um, no, uh, he, so what he's saying is that when we leave the EU, uh, uh, obviously our sovereign waters become our waters. Right. We are in charge of them, uh, but we're not in charge of the fish in them. Course. Uh, well, actually, Michelle, oh, we European. are. Oh, the so, fish European. Yeah, the point about the fishing is that, that people misconstrue what our stance is. They think we're going to take over our sovereign waters, mm. which we will, yeah. 200 uh, kilometres around the coast right. of Britain, uh, and not allow French or Spanish trawlers or Scandinavian mm. trawlers into our waters. That's right. not true. Well, I'm assuming we're going to flog no, them to no, space. We, we? Uh, we've always, uh, before the EU existed, before the common market existed, we always yeah. let them in. Right. But we call the shots right. at our waters. You can come in on our terms. And these are how many fish so you can get. So this is how many of you can come in. Right. Uh, there may be financial arrangements, mm -hmm. but we call the shots. Yeah. If it's our sovereign waters, how can he logically say, oh, no, no, it stays as it is, as it it is. Right. The EU's in charge of your well, waters. Well, it's not, is it? Is it bollocks? But this is like the same argument they're having about Northern Ireland, where apparently, and I was talking to Richard Tice about this, he knows a fair bit about mm. the EU, mm -hmm. and I said, look, this idea that somehow we have to get an arrangement with <coughs> Northern Ireland, which is approved by the EU, why? What's it got to do with them? Well, you know, they've got nothing to do with the United Kingdom mm -hmm. anymore. We have left the European Union. It is not for them to tell us yeah, 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 yeah. how to do business with Northern Ireland. Yeah, this Piss is off. It's exactly what I had a, a fishing uh, guy on uh, my show last week. Mm. And he said that I said, well, why can't we just take back our waters right. and start fishing them ourselves? If these Europeans want to fuck us around, we'll fish our own waters yeah. and feed ourselves. Well, the trouble is we haven't got enough fishermen. He said, no, the, he, then he starts going, oh, well, you see, the thing is about the EU quotas. I said, well, we we're leaving the EU. Fuck their quotas. Right, exactly. Fuck their Here's quotas. Here's your new quota. People do not. Fuck all. People do. <laughs> <laughs> you know. See Jack you later. shit. <laughs> Yeah, here's how many cods you can have, yeah, yeah, bugger yeah, all. Yeah. Right. Uh, but why can't people get it through their heads that when we leave the EU, EU quotas, EU Don't rules, matter. EU laws mean nothing no. to us? I had a very confusing conversation with a caller this week who, came, who claimed, slightly conspiratorially, that actually our fishing fleet is not British because it's somehow owned by loads of other foreign countries, which might be true because apparently there's something called quota swapping, whereby, you know, so basically the boat that, that comes out of, you know, Hull mm. or Grimsby mm -hmm. is actually owned by some company in Holland. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me, yeah. and it doesn't bother me either. As long as they're British fishermen, yeah. and as long as they're British registered boats, mm. technically that's a British yeah. fisherman's yeah. boat, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and, and uh, our fishermen, I mean, it's a small industry in this country. Because it's but been whistled but down. it's very symbolic. It's important to us it symbolically. Is. But also, we don't and eat as much fish as they do in, in Europe anyway, so we would sell it all to them anyway, wouldn't we? Well, yeah, we will continue to do that. Lang uh, our langoustines are very prized in Spain. Yes. Uh, in fact, all over the world. Uh, so our I, once, fish I once ate dinner in a place called the Three Chimneys, oh. which is on the Isle of Skye. And the langoustine I've literally... So great. I, I think they changed hands. They it sold good, it, yeah. but, the, but it had a Michelin star. Um, and it was one of these places in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you literally, you know... It, yeah. And langoustine came from the loch, which was literally yeah. a stone's throw from the restaurant. It was good. Yeah, it was great. Really yeah. good. Well, the, our fishermen... 
have hated it every day of their lives since Ted Heath gave away our fishing rights right. uh, half a century or so ago. He's got quite a lot to answer yeah, for. Yeah, he really Heath, fucking he? has. Uh, and they want us to uh, take back control of our waters and to dictate what the Spanish, French and Scandinavian uh, trawlers can do. Mm. And they will be thrilled for, for that. And that's the whole point of the fishing negotiations. It's to return power to our fishermen, yeah. which seems to me to be what leaving Europe is all about. Well, exactly. Self-determination. Yeah. And people who are on the Remain side of the argument, of course, have all started piping up again. It's all going to be a disaster. Yeah. You wait and see. You know, you see what's going to happen. It's <laughs> going to be a nightmare. And they have no more idea of how much of a nightmare it's going to be than they did two years ago when they started saying it, you know. And they just repeat the same old cobblers. And Barnier knows that if they, if they, if they piss us around too much yeah. and we leave with a bad sort of uh, yeah. odour... Yeah then that's not going to be helpful to them because other countries will look at that and go, this is how they treat you, we're out as well. Well, what I think uh, is that Boris and, uh, still wants to get uh, a deal. I uh, think so. I guess uh, you'd but, it's better but, to get a deal if you but, can get one which works. Yeah, but if you look at the Irish situation, he's gone back and looked at what our negotiators agreed to yeah. and thought, actually, this is a bit shit. Mm. Uh, so he's demanding changes to that. So he's getting very, very tough with Barnier. Mm. He's not going to move on the fishing. Barnier looks like a worried man. Mm. And Boris is definitely, in my mind, proceeding like a guy. Uh, I heard Richard Tice say to you, uh, on the basis that no deal is better than yeah. a bad deal. And he'll be getting a lot of pressure from, from Brussels and from Strasbourg by people saying, you've got to sort this out. Mm -hmm. You've got to come back with something. Barnier and looks worried you know, to me. He, he looks yeah. worried to me. Well, also, you know, you know you're in a good place with The Guardian... Uh, makes its front page headline, you know, um, oh, apparently the EU doesn't trust us. No, oh, good. Well, I'm good. pleased about that. Yeah, well, that's, that's feelings that's, mutual. That's not bad news, mate. That's, that's good news. That's feelings mutual. Uh, it's uh, Boris is saying five weeks to do the deal yeah. or not to do the deal. Right. Uh, these are going to be interesting times. I think they are. But at least we get to talk about something other than bloody COVID-19. Yeah, is it's, not... it's great to get back to Brexit, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> I mean, I have to say, when I started looking at it all again this morning to read all the stuff in the papers, I was just going... Christ, I mean, because there were times last year when you literally thought we'd be doing this forever. Yeah. I mean, I was in that tent of common sense, yeah, as we yeah, used to yeah, call yeah. it. And you get these people trudging in and out, you know. Well, you know, the thing is, um, we can't vote for this because uh, it's not a real deal. And I had that ridiculous conversation with Lisa Nandy, yeah. who pretended that there'd never been a deal. <laughs> and, and said that, you know, it wasn't a deal. And uh, it's one of my favourite comments of the year, actually, because at one point she just turned to me and said, you're just being difficult now. I remember that. <laughs> To which the mother of our children said she should try living with you. Let's move on to what I think is the most important issue of the Go day. Uh, if we've got another couple of minutes, uh, who is the best James Bond? <laughs> well, do you know we were talking about that earlier, and I think, I think it has to be Sean Connery, doesn't it? Although yes, I, say, I heard that you said that you hated uh, Roger Moore. I disagree. Yeah, I really didn't. I like liked it. Roger Moore. I mean, I quite like the films. Don't get me wrong. But it's not James Bond, really, because yeah. he's kind of... It's turned it into this kind of comedy show, which is a bit kind of nudge, nudge, uh, wink, uh, wink. What I did know. like about this survey, well, Daniel Craig didn't even come in the top I was three. quite surprised about well, that. Well, everybody says, oh, he's brilliant. I've never People don't liked, like Daniel I don't Craig. Like him I don't like him as an individual. I don't individual. think he looks right. I don't think he sounds right. No. He looks like a... You know, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but he's, he looks like a sort of northerner. Uh, and, and, and <laughs> well, I think he is from nothing Chester. Nothing wrong with looking like a northerner. I think he's I, from Chester. Yeah, well, he is a northerner. Yeah. Um, and he looks like one. There's nothing wrong with that, but I just don't think it's right for Bond. He's also quite short. 
which yeah. I think is also not right for Bond. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, when I, 007 I think, walks in, you don't want people saying hello, Sean. Yeah, no, exactly. Work, but um, also, you know, when you get uh, Piers Brosnan, who I think encapsulated, Great guy, by the way. I think I think he encapsulated the best of of, of Roger Moore and Connery yeah, and made them yeah, into one. Yeah. You know, he was funny. He could raise his eyebrow a little bit. Yeah. You know, he was still getting the girls and and he was quite a, an effective kind of. Uh, you know, physical presence. Yeah, so Bro Piers Brosnan's a great guy. Have you got I, a story? I, yeah, I interviewed him once uh, over in LA. Yeah. And he just made a film, I think it was a Thomas Crown affair. Which oh yeah, about a that's a great, that's a great remake. But it's about a woman. It's a great one. Thing. Yeah. And uh, there was a sort of bit of a hoo-ha about it was sexist and all that. So my yeah, first yeah. question was, Piers, there's been a bit of uh, a row about the uh, alleged sexism in right. the Thomas Crown affair. You play a womanizer and this. Right. And what do you say to the people who protest about this? He says, I say to them, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one last Bond Brilliant. story. Uh, Timothy Dalton was making his... Who I actually thought was the worst. Uh, he looked good. Yeah. He looked good. I don't know. I think I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you why. He looks wooden to me. I'll tell you exactly why he was bad. Uh, it's because being Bond mm. is more than just acting the part. Yeah. You've got to be a persona. You've got to be at home with yes. the publicity. Roger Moore once told me, uh, I think after Octop Octopussy... Uh, I said, God, some of those stunts, you, you get involved with them yourselves. He just, I do all my own stunts <laughs> and all my own lying. <laughs> and Timothy Dalton, see, was, so Roger Moore, yeah. which is why I do think he was quite good, was at home in the limelight. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Dalton hated being in the limelight. And he, I went on uh, over to Morocco mm. to make his And you've got to play film. the game, haven't you? His first film was called... Was that uh, the one that was Live done in Gibraltar? Or Die Another Day, I think it no, was. It wasn't, that was. No, that was uh, one of... Um, what was it called? Uh, the, the Living Daylights was one. Yeah, it might have been that one. The one... Uh, that the one view, to, view to a Kill. View to a Kill. No, that wasn't him, was it? Wasn't it? No, I think that was... Anyway, uh, it was Roger his Moore. first film. Yeah. And he went to his first Bond film. and They were filming in Tangier. And so me and a few other reporters were out there. And he just didn't want to meet us because he hated the idea of having to talk to the press. That's no good for a James. No, that's in, no good. In, uh, and, uh, and me and a, a guy, I think, from the Mirror, we bumped into him once in the hotel. And he said, oh, hello. Licence to kill, there Licence to kill. Uh, so uh, I said, Timothy, you've got to talk to us. You're the James Bond. He said, oh, I'm just not comfortable about it. So in the end, he agreed to come out. He said, OK, let's all go out for dinner. Right. So him and a few of his entourage, we went to a fantastic Moroccan flash right. restaurant. And there's the friend. And uh, he, was, uh, he was thinking about, he said to, us, to me, he said, I've been thinking about what you said. You're right. I've got to give you a few personal revelations. I said, OK, then, Timothy, fire away. What do you want to tell us? He goes, I like fishing. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Dear God, that, that sounds about right for him. Yeah. He, he strikes me as a bit of a fisherman. No offence to anybody who's out there being a fisherman. But listen, we're out of time. Yep. Uh, in addition to which, the lights have just gone out. I don't know what yep. that means. It's gone dark in this room. Maybe there's some kind of emergency going on. It's like the theatres. It's gone into darkness. Yes, I remember it well when I used to do that sort of thing. Anyway, we'll be back next week. We are the Thought Police. See you then. This guy, right. this guy Johnson, who we had high hopes from, he does not know his ass from his elbow. This guy, he is starting fucking to, this up. He's starting space. to go pretty horribly wrong. It really now, is. The one thing that could save his ass, though, is if he gets to grips with this migrant problem and the crisis yeah. in the channel. I right? agree with you, if Mike. He can get to, if he can fix that, then people will forgive him everything. Yeah, but uh, the indications are he won't. Uh, you're quite right. 
And, you know, so over the weekend, three days, 532 more of them came across. Yeah. Now, if that kind of number of influx carries on, uh, that's, we're talking about 60,000 mm. people a year, and that's only the ones that get caught. Yeah. Uh, it is estimated... Well, don't, you're not counting the ones that come in lorries, because there's still a bit of yeah. that going on. Yeah. You know, it, clinging it, to the underside of the Eurostar. It is estimated that if you, if you catch 532, about 5,000 might have gone in. Yeah. Uh, so but it's like the drug business, This is it? an influx. If you, if you catch, like, you know, 50 kilos of cocaine, yeah. you know that about 700 have come exactly. some other route. Exactly right. You know? What I you did know. like about this survey, well, Daniel Craig didn't even come in the top I was three. quite surprised about well, that. Everybody says, oh, he's brilliant. I've never People don't liked, like Daniel I don't Craig. like him. I don't like him as an individual. I don't individual. think he looks right. I don't think he sounds right. No. He looks like a, you know, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but he's, he looks like a sort of northerner. Uh, and, and, and <laughs> well, I think he is from Chester. Nothing wrong with looking like a northerner. I think he's I, from Chester. Yeah, well, he is a northerner. Yeah. Um, and he looks like one. There's nothing wrong with that, but I just don't think it's right for Bond. He's also quite short. Yeah. Which I think is also not right for Bond. Yeah, but I, mean, I, I, when 007 I think, walks in, you don't want people saying hello, Sean. Yeah, no, exactly. Work, so he's basically gone from being this forensically brilliant lawyer to being Mr. Beige yeah. in about three months. Yeah, yeah. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.